he took my head and he pinned it against the the dining room table. He said, you're going to drink tonight whether you want to or not. And I just looked up at him and I was like... Hello, everyone. Welcome to the uh, Schooling Struggle podcast. My name is Todd, and I'm here with uh, Pete. Pete, say hello. What is up, everybody? What's going on over in the Seattle area today, Todd? Well, Peter, it's it's dreary and gray, like most people would probably expect it to be near Seattle. How about you? What's going on in uh, your neck of the woods? All is well. In the thick of the holiday season, my six-year-old daughter is ridiculously frenetic about all things related to the holiday season and she was just bouncing off the walls for the last five days and my wife and i looked at each other yesterday and we both go we're not gonna be able to do another month of this so we're we're navigating that huh interesting what's her favorite uh, what's her favorite thing about christmas decorating oh yeah i could see how yeah. that would be and you don't realize that someone at some point in your life taught you how to unpack things gently so she's like pulling stuff out and breaking stuff and like unwrapping stuff. Like yeah. there'll be three Christmas balls wrapped up in like one piece of newspaper and she'll pull the one Christmas ball out and then the other two just fall out and smash on the floor. So. Ah, darn it. So she's breaking uh, – well, yeah. Well, is she is she breaking uh, sentimental value at this point or you, you keep those uh, A few. A few. Yeah. yeah. But well, it's all part of the process. omelet if you don't break a few eggs. Interesting. Well – um, today, today is going to be great. We're going to, uh, Peter schooled my struggles the other day, uh, on the, on the last podcast, which would have been what episode three, I think we're already, we're already in, pushing into four. This is awesome. Um, and although Peter is very humble and, uh, and, um, believes that potentially he's had quite the easy life. I hope to, uh, I hope to see some of his struggles shine through here. Cause I know that you've, you've pulled on one quite a few times and I'm, I really am, am very curious about that high school experience, but, um, to start it off, uh, and I told Peter this before, but I think at, le- at least for me in the podcast, um, if we go too deep on something where I feel personally like triggered or I don't want to go there, I'm just going to say, I don't want to go there. So know that if you hear me say, I don't want to go there, then it's pretty much off the table till we talk about it in private. And I would extend the same to you, Peter. But um, where I would like to start is not at that high school moment, but I, w- I would be interested in knowing. Um, I remember at one point you, you told me that um, that that you had a pretty normal uh, a pretty normal elementary life, a pretty normal life up until high school, for most intensive purposes. And so, kind of lay it out there, like uh, <laughs> I wouldn't go exactly from the womb, like like you took me, but uh, like like let's go let's go backwards. Let's go from your first memory. And then let's let's start building on top of that uh, notable mentions until we get to the middle school section, if that's a thing. My very first memory that I can conjure up is the majority of people on this podcast might not even, or listening to this might not even know what I'm talking about. But when I grew up, there was what was called a cable box. And it was this piece of metal that was about the same length or width as a laptop computer and it had a little lever and you'd slide it along the numbers and the numbers represented the channels. And this thing had like a 25 foot cord on it. So it was essentially a remote before remotes were even invented. And I just remember being in the den in my house where I grew up in Holyoke, Massachusetts before my younger brother was born. He's six years younger than me. And it was myself, my older brother and my two parents sitting in 
the den on this really like shag 70s carpet watching TV with the cable running across the floor and us on the other side of the room kind of flipping through the channels trying to find something to watch. I don't remember much else about that. Interesting. Huh. What's your brother's experience with the cable box? Have you ever talked to him about it? So I have an older brother. His name is Dave. He's uh, three years older than me. And my younger brother is Jay. He's six years uh, younger than me. And no, I haven't I haven't brought up the conversation about the cable box with Dave in a long time. I don't even know if Jay was old enough to even remember yeah. the cable box. But huh. yeah, that's what it was. And I remember when remotes first came out <laughs> and what a big deal it was that you didn't have to have this cable box running across your, your living room floor or the, the cable connected to the cable box. That's interesting because you and I are pretty close in age. <laughs> and it seems like I always remember remote controls. I don't, I don't know why that would be. but Well, my, my parents were Luddites and still are in many respects. So what does that mean? Every, Luddite is, uh, oh man, I hope I get this right. It is someone who fears or um, avoids technology. Oh, interesting. Nothing wrong with that. And so <laughs> they were late to adopt, basically is what you're saying, like. If yeah, they had pretty much. Control, it came in the nineties. <laughs> yeah, exactly, exactly. Are they still that way? Um, my my father is. My father is actually a trustee to a bank and still didn't have an ATM card because wow. he just goes and cashes the check at the grocery store to get cash. So he he's that way. Um, yeah, anti phone. Uh, my mom is just doing what she can to be up to speed and to to be in our lives. So if that requires getting a phone to get videos and pictures of our kids, uh, her grandkids, uh, she's all in on that. And uh, yeah, she's, she's got it figured out for the most part. Cool. So the next step in the, the next step in the, uh, in the evolution after the cable box, let's unwind that a bit. <laughs> that way, how old do you think you were there? Oh, four. Okay. So from, Maybe. let's go, let's shoot four, four to 12, four to 12. So as I said, I grew up in Holyoke, Massachusetts. Um, it's funny. My name is Peter, and my younger brother's name is officially John, and my older brother's name is David. Mm. So John, Peter, and David, but my parents are the least religious or spiritual people you'll ever meet in your life. Um, the city of Holyoke, if you're not familiar with it, is per capita <laughs> the highest crime of any any crime that you can think of. Holyoke is, at least in the state of Massachusetts. Yeah, so... My dad grew up there when it was the paper capital of the United States. Um, it was a huge paper and textile industry back in the day and lots of factories and just a booming town and some insane percentage of the Fortune 500 people in the United States lived in Holyoke, Massachusetts just because of the booming um, manufacturing that was going on. And um, my father grew up in that era, his father owned a bar and the bar never closed because the factories were pushing uh, three shifts a day and people would get off their shift and go to my father's bar or my grandfather's bar. And um, yeah, so that was how my, my father grew up. And all this to say that the, over time, the history of Holyoke is that the, the paper mill shut down, the textile industry shut down and Holyoke was just a bunch of, um, abandoned buildings and tenement housing and, and really took a turn for, um, you know, some would say the worst, but, um, just kind of some rough neighborhoods. And my parents chose to send my brothers and I to Lutheran and Catholic school. So never attended church, uh, wasn't a 
Um, Never before that? Like suddenly you're just going to Lutheran school and Catholic school? I started there. I started there in kindergarten. Yeah. And um, my parents, yep, sent us all there. So um, we wouldn't be in the public schools. And my father, after when I got to about the age 13, he decided that it would be better for him and our family to move to a new town so he didn't have to pay for us to go to school. We went to public school at that point. So I started public school um, at my freshman year of high school. And those years of age five to 12 were um, just uh, amazing years. I had three of my best friends now are from preschool. So we've managed to maintain these lifelong friendships. Um, one of one of my friends moved to Ireland um, and the three of us have just remained close. So I, I'm very, very fortunate and I have some amazingly long lasting and some deep friendships in my life. And I have those from, from all of my stops. I have those from where I spent the summers. I have those from college. I had them from different places I've worked and different places I've lived. Keeping in touch with people has always been super important to me. That's really cool. And, Go ahead. I was just say, as I get older now, I want to double down on all the people that I'm close with and then start to let the fringe ones kind of, uh, kind of go because mm-hmm. I've found that as far as the essential life that I'm seeking is to be in touch and to be in regular contact with the people that um, I hold most dear is a very important thing for me. Well, that's pretty cool. The So that's, so that's five to 12. So basically, I mean, I'm sure there's a lot more to unpack there, but yeah. So, f- yeah. So five to 12 played a lot of soccer, uh, skied and snowboarded. I started snowboarding right when snowboarding kind of hit the market. It was only allowed on one trail on <laughs> Sunday nights in the town where I lived. And over the time, over time, snowboarding became a very important thing to me. Yeah. And I just, I loved, I love snowboarding and we spent the summers. Uh, my parents would rent a house for a couple weeks in Connecticut and I'd go down there and, um, spend the summer near the water, which was awesome. Um, both my brothers have relocated down there as a bunch of uncles and aunts as well. So my family's kind of migrating down to the shore and I moved the opposite. I moved up north to Vermont, but yeah, that was how I spent my summers. Just a really, really blissful childhood. Uh, my parents kept any bad stuff from us and, um, not always for the benefit. I was just a blissful kid. So when quote unquote bad stuff or real life stuff happened, um, we didn't know about it. I, I'm a, I'm very close with my father now, but he, he raised us similar to, um, kind of how, how they were raised back in the fifties was his job was to provide. And my mom's job was to uh, be there for the emotional support. And he'll be the first to admit that. So we always had a roof. We always had clothes. We always had food. Uh, we were very, very blessed in that regard. And my mom took care of all of the emotional stuff and um, her world was raising these three boys. Yeah. So it's still the same then a lot in a lot of, di- in a lot of aspects. Um, since he's retired, he's opened up a lot more and our relationship has gotten much deeper on uh, his level of compassion, his willingness to express his love for us, his love for his grandkids. And um, yeah, I'm closer with my dad than I've ever been which I'm incredibly grateful for. Yeah, congratulations. That's cool. Um, what would you say, if thinking back to those to those um, those years, um, and and then contrasting that against the fact that you told me that you, you didn't have many struggles growing up, is there one struggle that you could think of 
during that time frame that you were like, man, that was probably like that was one I could have learned from differently, or or maybe you did learn to in real time. Um, yeah, my my dad was stressed out because of uh, work quite a bit. Uh, he was a he was a financial guy, and I didn't realize until much much later in my late teens, early twenties, when one of my neighbors told me or asked me, "Do you know what your father does?" I said, "Yeah, he does." financial stuff and she's like do you understand that he holds the financial well-being of every single person that you know all of his siblings and all of his friends and family and he takes on that burden every single day and i'm like oh no i've never <laughs> thought about it in those terms so when things were not going well it wasn't it's not, it wasn't that they weren't going well for him they weren't going well for everybody that he knew and he was responsible for that and uh, i never really thought to think about that friends and family would often tell me, Oh, you, you know, you're going to be, you're going to be just like your dad. You're going to get into business just like your dad. So that, that was kind of in the back of my mind that I would someday get into business. So we'll hold that. I'll come back to that piece. If I remember later okay. in the story. Yeah. So, so dealing with the stress or, or watching your father, um, or, or I guess having an awareness that that stress existed Monday through Thursday, w- would you say that that, um, was a point of contention for you or was that like something maybe that, that shaped your expectation going forward? Like I, I, you know, I know to stay away from you Monday through Thursday, I'll go over here to mom. Right. And then. Yeah. Not, I mean, not so much. Uh, my dad is definitely a unique character in many, many ways. And we joke about it now. And my, my younger brother in moving from one house to another, moved in with my parents with his wife and children. And oh, wow. he'll send videos of my dad doing stuff or staying, saying stuff that, uh, is is a riot if you know my father. Yeah. Um but I think you know when you're a kid things just are and I didn't think deeply beyond you know when my dad was paying bills I gave him space and I wouldn't really, you know, uh ask him to to do fun stuff if it wasn't, you know, Friday or Saturday but he was all in to to do fun stuff on Friday and Saturday. And I yeah, I didn't realize as a kid how much his work consumed him and then when I kind of grew up and thought about what I might do for a career. My goal was to, one of my primary goals was to not let my career choices consume me in negative ways. So I learned a lot from that. And and really, I think my, my father takes and took a lot of pride in providing for us. Like that was his, where he found his fulfillment. And it's funny because he, I grew up thinking we were poor, like we couldn't leave lights on. We couldn't take long showers. Um, you know, we couldn't talk on the phone for a long time. Like we had all these rules and they were all money related. And my father, at least in my opinion, um, my father used money as his measuring stick, but he didn't spend money. My father didn't have fancy jewelry, didn't have fancy cars. We didn't go on lavish vacations. So it wasn't like he was saving money to spend it. It was just that's how he measured his personal score. That's what I believe. And I can remember my mother using some of the grocery money to buy a soccer cleats because there wasn't enough there for the soccer cleats. And looking back, there was plenty there for the soccer cleats, but that was just the dynamic of how my family worked. And we always had the smallest bottle of shampoo or the smallest bottle of... um, you know, dishwasher detergent because that was just kind of the dynamic of of my family, and it, it worked for all that time. Yeah, the living exi- the living situations you get. I mean, that just becomes your norm. I think. 
Yeah. And then the other piece is, um, my, I think my parents were ahead of their time in many ways, maybe without even recognizing it. Like, so anyone that knows me well knows that I can go deep on my soapbox about processed foods and what they're doing to the health of human beings, especially in the Western worlds. And we didn't have many processed foods growing up. And it wasn't because my parents were anti-processed foods. It was just because we were three boys that were just eating everything in the cabinets every day. And my father would stop home from work every day and buy food for dinner and bring it home and cook it. It was whatever was on sale that day or whatever was fresh or whatever caught his eye. And um, our breakfast and lunch were kind of just the staples that were, were always in the house. And the only thing that we always had available to us was cereal and milk. So there was always a box of cereal and there was always a gallon of milk. And we went through a couple boxes of cereal and a gallon of milk a day, the three of us. But that's what I grew up on was cereal and milk. And my mom didn't buy the sugar stuff. It was always, you know, at the time it was Cheerios or Special K. But um, yeah, and now, you know, buying fresh each day and buying whole foods is, we've learned (laughs) uh, one of the best ways to sustain health and wellness. And that's what my parents have done their whole life. And even my father now, still every day, he drives to the grocery store and buys one day's worth of food and brings it home and he cooks it for my mom. And the two of them um, have subsisted that way as, as long as anybody's known them. It's an awesome story. Good job. Good job on the old man. He, he didn't even know he was doing the cool thing. And look at that. He's put it right in you. He didn't even know it. I know. And, and I didn't learn it until I married my wife, who my wife was given a cookie in her lunchbox every day. And then they had dessert every day after dinner. So her palate told her after a meal, you got to have a sweet. Yeah. And, you know, that craving is real. And for me, it was never there because it was never an option. Like we had pie at Thanksgiving and maybe something at Christmas, but there wasn't anything there. Um, and my, my parents didn't have a lot of like strict rules on us. Like I could listen to any music I wanted. I could watch any music, any movies I wanted. Um, I would fill up an entire, I'm not even exaggerating when I tell you this, I would f- fill up an entire pillowcase of candy at Halloween and we could eat all that in, the, in one night if we wanted. Like, so that there wasn't any strict parameters on that. And, um, yeah, it was, it was a great, a great childhood. It was, yeah. it was awesome. Yeah. Sounds like it. I mean, yeah. It, the reason I asked you to, to, to do that was two reasons. One, one is I remember, uh, the first time I went to a therapist, she said, tell me about your childhood. And I was like, oh, it's pretty normal. And she's like, that's what everybody says, <laughs> but watch this. So we didn't get to, um, obviously I have no therapist, but, uh, it was interesting. <laughs> And and the, the second part is because I, I wanted to I wanted to kind of clear your clear your mind before we get into the, the what what is this this major entry point of yours. So what I heard you say was uh, I had a pretty good childhood, um, in, at least in your own terms and your own recollection. Uh, I went to a Lutheran school or a, a highly segregated school. Let's put it that way um, for yeah. for most of my schooling, and then yeah, it so seems Lutheran like, school through fifth grade, and then they they switched me over to a Catholic school for yeah. sixth, seventh, and eighth. Yeah, yeah. so. You could say highly shielded, and then when you Very. went to, and when you went to, and then you endured that summer between there, and then you knew you were going to public school, and then this is this is where I want to get into this this occurrence that happened when with yeah, yeah. little Driscoll there. So let's do that. <laughs> so what you just said about normal families made me think of a comic I saw one time. It was a a giant room, and there was a sign above the door that said. Something to the effect of, this is the room for people that only come from normal families. And there was nobody in the room. 
Right. And there's no waiting waiting chair out front because there's no way no. ever in yeah. there. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. So my so my parents, um, because of what was happening in Holyoke, my brother got mugged. He got his bike stolen from him. Um oh, he this was, was enter- ter- this was happening to to the kids. Like it went from pretty good place to we don't it's kind of shady. And then this is what like you that you experienced yeah. those things. It, it's it was and still is a pretty segregated city, but um yeah, things were happening. Oh, wow. Yep. And then, and my brother was in high school at that point. He was in ninth grade and some things were happening. My parents weren't comfortable with who's, who he's hanging out with, where he was hanging out. And they decided to to make a move. So they um, sold the house that we lived in Holyoke and moved to the town adjacent to it, which is on the other side of the Connecticut River called South Hadley, which had a, you know, a better reputation. Um, and my parents um, built the house of their dreams and met and we moved we moved there and i so it was only 15 minute drive from one to the other but um you know for me at that time not realizing i was venturing into a whole new world and i played as i shared in a previous episode i played lacrosse in this town prior to moving there and i knew some kids that were on my lacrosse team and we moved to we moved to south hadley and i started south hadley high school as a freshman on the first day of school and you knew those kids, like you played sports with some of them anyways, that you were going, that were yeah, at they that were new my, school when you got there. They were my lacrosse teammates. Yep. Yeah. And so how was the, how was the lacrosse situation through, so the, the relationships through sports w- with those same people were that, was that like just sporting? Uh, I was or? just an outsider. I was a kid from Holyoke. There was no lacrosse program in Holyoke. So I was just a kid from Holyoke that played on the team. I wasn't a good player as I've shared many times over. I was the smallest, weakest kid on the team. So I didn't really have any, um, any pull or really have any, um, garnered any clout in that regard. I was just a small kid on the team whose helmet was way too big and his pads and his gloves were way too big because they didn't make stuff small enough for me, even though I was in eighth grade. You're just an awkward teenager, right? I mean, that's pretty much what it is. So tell me about that for this first day of school. I've heard you say, I've heard you say, you know, you get there and there's like, a group of kids and you, you go there and there's like a joke and you just, you know, kind of force laughter. And then that's kind of when this, this situation unfolded. So tell us a little bit more about that if you want. Yeah. So these, I mean, whatever lacrosse team, probably 20 kids in the team. But, um, when I got to school, I was, I was actually really excited about moving. My parents built this beautiful home and this great neighborhood. And I was so excited about moving and we got rid of all of our um, kind of our old beat up furniture. My parents got me a futon in my bedroom, which was cool. And, uh, got me a poster of D Brown and Michael Jordan that I could hang up in my new room. And I was so psyched D Brown with the blindfolded dunk. And I was just really excited to move to this new town. And, um, even though I didn't know many people in the town that summer, I spent a lot of time by myself, which was kind of cool. Taught myself how to juggle and, um, you know, was just really anticipating and excited for the first day of high school. And I went to high school and yeah, I'm just kind of walking around before the, before the bell, the first day. And I see my, my group of, you know, probably eight of the kids that run my team. And I walk up to them and just wanted to figure that was going to be my, my group of friends for, for, for the next four years and just kind of stood there and as I shared, they were making, they were making jokes and I was just kind of laughing. And one of them looked at me and just did not have any interest in having me as part of that circle, like figuratively and, and physically. And I spent the next two years doing everything I could to try to garner the acceptance of 
a couple, just two or three of them. Um, same crew, really, the same group, same crew. Yep. Yeah. Yep. And I mean, to their credit or to, you know, and looking back on as an adult, like they were, they were established. They didn't need me around and why would they want to bother with me? I don't know what, what their deal was. Like, I don't know if they, they couldn't have felt threatened by me. I don't really know. I, I just think they looked at me just like this annoying little kid that was trying to tag along and they weren't interested in having me there. And, um, I just, it, it wrecked, it wrecked myself. I had all, you know, I had great friendships and nothing but positive vibes flowing, thrown through my, my mind and my body and my, you know, elementary and middle school years, those school, those years went really well for me. And this was the first time that I was like, Whoa, all right. Like, I don't really know what to do. So I, I went home those first bunch of weeks and I would just cry and literally just swear at my mom. Why the F are you sending me this F in school? I just want to go back to my old friends and, you know, why do we have to be here? And man, now as a parent, looking back on that, like, ah, oh man, I just tore my mom in half and I felt so, I feel so bad about it now. Um, but yeah, it, it, it roughed me up pretty good. And I think that, uh, that Napoleon complex or whatever you want to call it that I had from those days has been a major motivator and a major driver for me ever since to, to not be that. Yeah. And, you ever talk to those guys? You still friends with any of those? Yes, yeah. So we ended up being cool by the time I graduated. Like, um, you know, we we were cool. We weren't best friends, but but I'm I'm pretty confident that we're that we were good. Um, one of my best friends ever. His name is Sean. He lived across the street from me, down a couple of houses, and I started hanging out with him my sophomore year. Uh, he's three years younger than me. So when he was in eighth grade, I was a sophomore year and, and I started spending a lot of time with him. And then once I spent time with him, I started spending time with his peer group and they totally accepted me. And I had a, I had a really enjoyable uh, junior and senior year. Um, still had the issues with my physical size and, and still lacked a lot of confidence, but at least I was around people that made me feel valued and loved. And that was huge. So, so trying to get the acceptance of those dudes who didn't really want to have me around became less of my focus. But when two years of my life was consumed by hating school every day, hating myself, and just wanting these dudes to like me, man, that is a lot of wasted energy. Holy cow! When I think about the when I think about schooling struggle, and I think about as these things come up and when we talk about them, I I the intent is to kind of have a way to teach other people maybe um, a different way or how we, how we can look back on it retrospectively and say, man, I could have done that a little bit differently or, you know, this is except what happens to you, but, but like, how do you move past that? Because it's two years of your life, right? I mean, you just said it, like I've spent two years that I didn't get any back wasting all of this energy on something that I never paid me a return. So I wonder, I wonder if, if you ever, ever, ever had an opportunity or if you ever um, explored it, like, like diving into that, wondering, like inquiring with those people, like, do you remember this happened? And like, you know, I like kind of go through it with them or, or is that like a leaning into that discomfort instead of just realizing that you wasted your time? I wonder if you ever had done anything around those lines. Are you asking if I have reached out to those guys and had conversations around that? I mean, that would be one way or if it came up in conversation or anything like that. Yeah. I mean, for me, like we were cool by the time we graduated and that, that I didn't want to go there. Yeah. You know, I just didn't have the self-confidence to, to go there. Um, yeah. I probably would now. I don't know how much 
it would accomplish for me or for them. Um, I, I'm, I'm feeling okay about who I am and where I am, but um, I would definitely be open to that. Yeah. Um, what I've kind of really focused my attention on is the people that have been awesome in my life and have been positive influences. How can, and how can I double down and invest in them versus trying to reconcile some of the actions of students or peers that didn't, that didn't make me feel. Yeah. Do you find yourself, and I I know you didn't want this to turn into an interview, but now I'm so curious. Did you find yourself um, in the role you have now, or even in your parenting of, of your own child, do you find yourself creating inroads or spaces for people who you see going through a similar struggle of yourself? So like if you're at school and you see a bunch of people bullying some other kid, you're like, Hey, hey wait a minute, we can do this differently. Or Yeah. So I, th- I think that's where my strength as an educator lies is that uh, I once heard that school is full, is full of a bunch of teachers who school went well for, right? So that school went well for them when they were young. So they went on to work in schools and, very few people who have had extremely negative experiences in school go on to make careers in schools. And I think, and I, and I, I think that is where I put a lot of my focus and energy on the students that I see. Um, I have a brand new, um, a student who just moved to the town who's in ninth grade. And I just, I first day I went over to him, I said, Hey, you know, the toughest time of my life was when I moved towns and I started new as a freshman and I hear you and I feel you and I'll never walk a mile in your shoes, but I'm here to support you in any way that I can. And like, n- nobody said that to me when yeah. I was a freshman, yeah. you know, and nobody understood. And I just felt like I was on an Island and I was, you know, by myself trying to figure it out. And I was, but you know, I had people that love me, but you know, nobody, but I, but I was also at an age where I didn't open up about that stuff. I just yelled at my mom and, and that was how I dealt with it. Yeah. And, um, you know, sports and, and physical movements always been an outlet for me. So I could go clear my head by go snowboarding or, go play soccer or lacrosse or whatever it is that I was doing at the time. And, um, yeah, I mean, we could go on for a long time about yeah. this kind of stuff, but that I always say to my students, there is no problem that a good workout cannot cure. And for my life and for my life story, that is an absolute truth. That's how I've dealt with a lot of my stuff. I've never, um, self-medicated. So I chose very early on that alcohol and narcotics was not going to be something I was going to do. I don't like the idea of being out of control. And I'm also (laughs) really frugal with money like my father. So um, I wasn't going to spend money on that or time on that. And it's, it's a real interesting dichotomy because the crew that I ran with was all thick into that stuff, like um, partying and, you know, parties out in the woods and run from the cops. And I did all that with them, but I just chose not to drink. And, uh, when I got my license, I became the designated driver all the time. And so I wasn't against the use of that stuff. I just chose not to use it, but I ran with crews that did. So it's kind of interesting. Yeah, I bet. That's in, that is, that's actually very interesting. Cause usually you'll find somebody who's become that serves that role because because they went too far, right? Or or something negative happened and it sounds like you never- Yeah, I mean, even... I always knew that alcoholism ran in my family and my family is full of functional, functional alcoholics, mm. um, but that wasn't the main driver for me. And I just, I don't know, I always liked being in control and I liked, I, you know, I really thrived on the reputation of being the only kid that didn't drink. Like, I, yeah. I liked that. Yeah, you know, it's funny. Um, I think when I first met you, when I, when I came to your house, I was- um, I was underway like the first time I've ever done um, keto keto diets, and so I had no range fine sugar, no alcohol, nothing. 
and I remember I was go, I was I was asking you like where where's a good where's a good bar to go to or whatever because I I wanted to see what the experience was like in that crazy little town that you were in, and uh, and I remember I think and I could be wrong but I seem to remember you telling me well I've never drinking or I've never drinking coffee or never drinking alcohol yeah. never drinking coffee and I don't know if that's if that still applies but I thought what a life would be like to never have experienced either one of those things because you know I mean I used to drink pots of coffee it's ridiculous so it was very yeah, mind that's true. Yeah, I've yeah. never I've never had a sip of alcohol and I've never had a cup of coffee. I've never smoked anything. That is amazing. And when I tell my students stories about my high school experience and I say, you know, I was the only person at the party that wasn't drunk or I was the only person that wasn't drinking, they're like, hey, yeah, Mr. D, you're saying yeah. you're my teacher. But yeah, that's the truth. And that was my reputation was like the kid who who didn't drink. I remember I was a sophomore at a party and there was a an all-American lacrosse. Lacrosse was a big sport in my town and there was an all-American lacrosse player there. And he was friends with my older brother and he took my head and he pinned it against the, the dining room table. He said, you're going to drink tonight whether you want to or not. And I just looked up at him and I was like, no. <laughs> and he's like, no. He's like, you're going to. And I was like, nope. And after a little while, he saw that I was for real and that I was steadfast. And I think that, that in a way that was a little bit of a, a, a switching point for me. Like, all right, these people know who I am and this is where I stand. And they're not going to try to force this on me anymore. And then when I became the the DD every weekend, my, my friends loved it. Oh, yeah. And I got I got sick of like, no, you just expect I'm going to drive. Like, no, I'm going to go do something else this weekend. Nope, you're going to drive for us. So, um, yeah. And then when I got to college, it was the same thing. Uh, I had have amazing friendships from college. Many of them still, you know, I talk to on a very regular basis. And it was the same thing there. Like, they all partied. They partied every night except Sunday and Tuesday. And, um, and I drove and that's the world that I was around and I have amazing friendships. We have a long ways to go and not a lot of time to do it. I will say this might be a part two. Actually it will be, but I will say that one of the things that, that, and I'd like to say it resonates the most with me, but it doesn't resonate because we came on two different, two totally different paths, right? Like I drink and smoke and all the, like I've done all the things in my day, but, um, it really speaks a lot to to the the flavor of authenticity. I think that comes across when when I met you and as I as I get to know you better. There is like a, there's a level of integrity that that I wouldn't even question. Like, oh, it, will Pete do it? No, Peter will definitely do it. Right? Like, there's no way around that. And I think that that's really cool that too that you can you can you have fostered that within yourself. And three or two, I guess, is the other one is that you remember a point where you were so adamant about, I'm not going to do that thing, that it, that something clicked for you. Right. And I think that that's something to explore more with like how you teach your kids or, you know, um, in, or how we are able to reach people who are in struggle, because there's definitely a moment where if you endure long enough, something will happen and, and it will switch over. And then you'll realize that your strength came through that thing instead of just, it was something that I had to uncover. Right. So I think that's really cool. Yeah. I, and I remember going to college and being like, man, like, I want these kids to know that I'm cool because I run with kids that drink. I just don't drink. And like, how am I going to deal with, how are they going to, how am I going to prove myself that I'm cool enough to hang out with them? And uh, I remember thinking like, oh, maybe I'm going to have to drink to get friends. Holy crap. Like it, I pulled it off in high school. How am I? And I just remember saying to myself, I remember laying in my bed freshman year, just like first week of school going, nope, just don't drink today. Like it was almost like I was a recovering alcoholic, but I never had a sip in my life. Like, nope, just don't drink today. You know, and <laughs> really funny story, many, you know, a bunch of years later in my senior year, my, my roommates had a, a banger of a party and kegs, the whole deal. And it got raided and 
the cops came and took the kegs out of the house and then went back into the house to look for more kegs and left the kegs unattended in the front of the house. My friends stole them all back. And the cops were so mad because they left this party with no kegs. And all the people who lived in the house were sent to mandatory AA meetings. I lived in the house. I never had a sip of alcohol in my life. And I find myself at AA meetings um, for like six sessions or whatever, because that was like the the protocol for getting in trouble with the school. If you were caught with alcohol in your, your, yeah. your residence. So I might be one of the only people that you know that has gone to AA meetings that's that's never had a sip of alcohol in their life. <laughs> I don't even know what to say about that. Like that's just icing on the, on the top. That, that is just, uh, yeah, it just speaks to like, who I ran with and yeah. uh, I'd take a bolt for any one of those guys, you know, and I know they would for me like that, just, yeah, just deep, deep friendships. That's cool. That's pretty cool. Yeah. I don't, I don't have any, um, I have very few friendships. Uh, it, it, interestingly enough, one of the, one of the, um, a remark that one of my best friends that I had had since, I don't know, middle school to, um, to later in life, he actually lived with us for a bit to probably into my thirties. Uh, he told me once, he said, he said, you know, we're really not friends. We're just more of acquaintances now. And that, that like crushed me. I was like, what the hell? Like, what does that even mean? Like we've gone through decades together and now you're just like, nah, it was just so interesting. So to hear you say earlier about how, you know, you, you're very intentional about the people you choose and, and, you know, pushing people who are not so much, um, beneficial for you or how you, how you see them as benefiting you to the fringes that's a it's a it's a topic i would like to cover sometime to to see to unfold that how that feels for you and how you go about that because it 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 hit me as a very um guttural like almost like something was taken away from me i was like wow you're taking a friendship you're just chucking that out the window and you know so i don't know but i thought that was interesting managing relationships is school and struggle yeah right? it's, and it's rude. of all types <laughs> the toxicity you know uh, yeah, that's that's fascinating yeah, stuff. No, it's a great story. Thank you for sharing that. I think that's I think that's really awesome. So cool. All right, good stuff. Thanks for hanging out tonight, Todd. Appreciate the conversation, and I'm looking forward to share more of my post college years, which involved a lot of travel, a lot of, as my friends say, dirt baggery. Mm-hmm. I was the uh, my friend gave me the nickname America's Guest because I had a rule that. Um, if you tell me where you live, I'm probably going to come visit you. And I took advantage of that. And I'm looking forward to, to digging in deep and sharing on some of that stuff going forward. Awesome. Yeah. Peter part two is going to be excellent. I'm, I'm excited for it. So thanks for, thanks for sharing. Have a good hey, night. Good chatting tonight. Stay strong. Yeah. Peace out. See ya.